0: Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. We're making our way in from the cold and rainy outdoors. Uh, Let's let's come in. Let's stand together. I'm going to read our call to worship this morning over us from Psalm 47. It says this, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord, amid the sounding of trumpets, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. We're going to do just that this morning as we sing together and as we worship.
1: There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet, but we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We'll wish I am free. Oh, oh. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who, who evermore open the prison doors and you the raging sea my god he holds the victory yeah there's joy in the house of the lord there's joy in the house of the lord today we won't be quiet but we shout our young face there's joy in the house of the lord i got a story Shout out your praise, shout it out, oh, we sing to the God who heals, we sing to the God who heals. we sing to the God who saves, we sing to the God who oh, always makes a cause he hung up, up on that cross and he rose up from the grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. But we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. My God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. But we shout out. We were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Sing it, church. We were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Running free, we are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out praise. There's joy in the house of today and we won't be quiet
0: this morning, because we serve a risen King, amen. Church, if you would, before you take a seat, if you could scoot any to your left, if you see any open seats to your left, if you could help us scoot on over, that's gonna help the ushers a ton. And once you get seated, check out this video.
2: My name is Elizabeth Kostner and I'm from Latvia. My childhood was not the easiest one I had two younger siblings with me and we lived in a super poor environment. My birth parents were very alcoholic and drug addicts and so living with them was always never safe. One day a social worker came to my house. She walks in and then not long after that she goes to a cow and she tells us to get in the car and she drove us all the way to orphanage. Me and my younger siblings, we lived in an orphanage for about a year. The end of the year, the social worker came back and she asked if I would like to be part of a foster care family. The word family got me say yes right away. I only had a foster mom. From the very beginning we met her, she pointed out that she never wanted older children. She made it clear that anytime I disobey or got a line, she could send me back to orphanage. I don't want to go back. There was a day she took me and my siblings to an organization that was doing food stamps. We got our food, but then I was about to leave and my foster mom was like, hey, not yet. And when she guided me towards the long line of people just standing. When it was our turn, the person just looked at me and gave me a shoebox. And the person just smiled and said, here, it's a gift for you. I did not understand why a stranger would give me a gift. <laughs> Foster mom told us we had to wait till we get home. That was the four longest miles in my entire life. I also remember it was a cold winter day. We. Didn't even notice we were cold. So when we got home, my younger siblings dug in right away with the box, and the first thing I saw was their joy, their happiness for the first time. It warmed my heart so much to just see them happy. Then I looked down at my box, and I just looked at it. I opened the box, and the first thing was this little purple mouse. It's my first toy I have ever owned. That was just mine. Besides the box, I also got a greatest gift booklet. The booklet was full of illustrations. I was amazed, and I loved the illustrations and colors. And so I started reading it. It got my curiosity up so high, because it was talking about Jesus, Lord, resurrection, prayer. But most of all, I think reading that He is my Savior, and that he loves me made me rethink everything I knew about what I was going through. It wasn't until a few years later, when I was about 14, when I was going through some hard things. I didn't felt loved from the day I was born till I got to foster care system. Even through there, while she cared for us, there was really no love, no emotional attachments. I remember the connection the booklet gave me which made me remember what I read. And so when I read that, it made me really felt like, I cannot believe a stranger would feel love for me, which helped me to really pray for the first time. It felt like a warm, invisible blanket wrapped around me. It felt like Lord was giving me a hug. Officially, he has found me. And so from that day, I never stopped praying. I prayed that we would officially will have a family. Our prayers were answered. We finally got a family. We were adopted in Arkansas. This picture was taken in Latvia, because my parents traveled to my country to pick us up officially as their daughters. Their love for us is strong and pure, and I love them so much. I told my mom and my dad, We have to pack a box. So each member of our family ended up packing a box, and we send it off every single year. It may seem simple to others, but it spoke so much to me and meant so much to me. Operation Christmas Child, shoebox hit, changed my life.
3: So church? you can be a part of this. You can be part of packing a shoebox and sending it out into the world. Um, We'll have the shoeboxes out in the foyer this morning. So just grab one on your way out and then bring them back by November the 19th. You can just bring them right back in the foyer. And if you want to give locally, Hank Matthews last week told you about the tent and the sleeping bag drive. So you can either buy those and bring them back here or you can Send a check. I don't know. Does anybody have checks anymore? You can send a check to this address, and they will be really thankful that you did it. Um, I've had Kim come up here with me this morning. Um, We recently had a women's retreat, and we'd like to hear a little bit about it. Um, Kim, what made you go?
4: Well, I am still pretty new to the area, and I was really just hoping to meet some other ladies. I kind of assumed it was organized by location, so hopefully some of those would live near me in Farmington. But I can tell you that I kind of learned that I probably need to turn around more when I'm at church. Because when I was, we were making introductions, someone said, oh, I know you. I sit behind you at church. And then someone else says, oh, I know you. I sit behind you in Garland's class. <laughs> so just turn around sometimes, I guess. <laughs> no. So do you think, was it worth going? It was. I, I think I really appreciated kind of the smallness of the groups. We were able to have some meals together, worship together, share our testimonies. Um, while I was at the retreat, I had the opportunity to meet Britta Burlingame, who sits behind me in Garland's class, by the way. Um, she shared her testimony and that she and her husband were leaving in January to go plant some churches. A few weeks after that, we were, I knew we were gonna be talking about missions in our seventh grade cell groups. So I asked her to come, and she so graciously joined us, shared her testimony with the girls, um, talked about missions, and um, really kind of and shared a lot with them. They ask a lot of questions, and I think had I have not attended the retreat, obviously since I never turn around, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to learn Britta's um, testimony, and she, wouldn't, she might not have had the opportunity to share some mission seeds with these 7th grade girls.
3: Well, I'm so glad that you had them share with the girls. So if there's somebody out there that is thinking, I don't know, I don't know, I'm a little bit scared, I don't know if I want to go, mm-hmm. what would you tell them?
4: Go. So (laughs) I think fellowship is a really big church that tries really hard to be small. And for me, it was really overwhelming to walk out into the foyer and step in to introduce myself to someone. So taking the opportunities of the small groups like the women's ministry events or the community groups, um, learning and volunteer opportunities, I've met a lot of people, which continues to make fellowship feel smaller and more personal to me.
3: Well, you guys heard it from Kim. Kim. If you get the opportunity, go. And so we do have an opportunity coming up. We have a single and significant luncheon. It's a potluck. It's gonna be on November the 12th. If you're 50 you you're and a woman, and you're 50 and above, then come and join us. And we would love to do, get to hang out with you. If you're single, by either choice or by circumstance, we're gonna re- meet right over there in FSM right after the second service. So please come and join us. And now I'm going to get off the stage, and Kim's going to read the scripture for you. If
4: you'll stand for me as I read from the book of Philippians. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Amen. Thanks, Kim. You can... You can sense the humility in in Paul's words because he he realizes the weight of his sin. So we're going to practice that together as a church this morning through the form of corporate confession. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. Another thing that you, you pick up on in Paul's writings is that he is so confident in who Christ Jesus is, that God did send us a savior through his son. And for those of us that believe in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and we, we give our lives to him to follow him, and there's good news. So church, believe the good news that Jesus died for us, Jesus rose for us, Jesus intercedes for us, In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever, amen. Let's reflect on those truths as we continue to sing this morning.
1: Abraham, you're the God of covenant, of faithful promises. And time and time again, you have proven, you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I remain set And let my heart know when you speak a word, it will come.
0: come to us, you provide for us in our wants and our needs. God, most of all, you've made a path to salvation for us. It's our ultimate need that we need as Savior. God, you gave us, Jesus, perfect propitiation for our sin, perfect atonement. And so, God, we can rejoice in your faithfulness this morning, just as Paul said, we can look completely to Christ. We can have complete faith and assurance in who Jesus is. Maybe we believe that more this morning. God, we love you. It's in your son's name. Amen. Church, you can have a seat.
5: Before you sit down, before you sit down, in light of Kim saying we never turn around, turn around and introduce yourself to the person around you. Say what's up. Say good morning. Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Uh grab a seat, grab a seat. Good morning. Good morning. Um I- if you are here, quick announcement. My name is Garland. I'm glad to be uh, here with you. That's not the announcement, but I am Garland. I'm glad to be here with you. Um, quick announcement. If you are part of Fellowship Fayetteville, but you can, but you live in Springdale, uh, you consider this your home church, but you live in Springdale, Tiny Town. We know that's actually probably hundreds of you. Um, let me put this on your calendar. Um, we're going to be serving both in Fayetteville, and that's some of what we're doing with our, uh, with a tent and sleeping bags. We're also going to be serving hundreds of families in the city of Springdale. So if this is you, November 12th, we're going to gather at Helen Tyson Middle School with uh, the folks from Fellowship Fayetteville that live in Springdale, Tiny Town, as well as the people, uh, our folks that, uh, that worship in Rogers that live in Springdale, Tiny Town. And we're going to come together to pray, to give some vision and then to, to bless over 800 families in the city of Springdale in the school systems. And so you'll hear more about this in the next few weeks. But go ahead and put it on your calendar. Springdale people, if you've got community group that night, bring them. Let's all come together. Uh, I'll be there and uh, look forward to seeing what God may do uh, in Springdale this upcoming, uh, this upcoming month or so. Um, if you heard the passage earlier that Kim read, you'll notice that Paul drops us into... Uh, it's an athletic motif. He's talking about striving and pressing on. It's very active. And what he wants to do is help his audience to imagine uh, the games, to imagine the race, to imagine this idea of striving forward. And he mentions even in that winning the, tr- the trophy or the prize. In the ancient Roman world, it was the laurel wreath. It was a sign of great honor. To be crowned with a laurel wreath was to say, this person is honorable. This is a victor. And so the Roman generals would receive a laurel wreath upon uh, conquest. The Caesar was crowned with a laurel wreath. And if you were to win a, a race or win in the games, you, you would be crowned with the laurel wreath. It was a great sign of honor and respect. And it got me thinking, just thinking about you know running the race and, and pursuing this goal. It got me thinking, okay, um, how many in this room, let's do a show of hands here, how many in this room you have participated in a marathon, a half marathon, or the other kinds of kind of distance things like triathlons, tough mutters, anything like that. Raise your hand high. Let me see you. That is shockingly more than I was thinking. Strange folk you are. Um, I mean, I've, I've never attempted it. Uh, I think it's about to be obvious. Um, and when I, when I talk to people that have tough mutters, triathlons, uh, marathons, what they'll tell me is, there's this certain point. I've never experienced it personally. As actually, I do, but it's more on like a 5K. Um, but they say there's a certain point where basically your body is shutting down and doesn't want to keep going, and you've got to kind of press through just the pain and the difficulty of that moment. And, and usually it's because there's a certain distance. It's 26.2, and you have that as the prize. You have that as the finish line. Now, I don't know if you know this. The longest distance that uh, a person has run without stopping. You know what it is? Three hundred and fifty miles, not stopping. It took seventy-two hours to accomplish. But I've run a ten k. You don't. You're not as impressed with that, huh? Not not as impressed by that? Okay, Um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna drop into this athletic motif, and here's gonna be uh, our, our, our idea this morning, our title, Striving Towards the Victory. Now, here's the deal. As a teacher, preacher in the South especially, if you are gonna use a title of a sermon that has anything like running the race of life or going to the finish line or striving for the victory, it automatically runs the risk of Cheesiness, like right off the bat, and there is nothing I hate more than being cheesy, okay? So I'm gonna get all the cheesiness I can out of the way now. Here were other options I had thought of of what to title this sermon. Uh, These are other kinds of sports cliches. We could call it, it ain't over till it's over. We could say, you gotta take it one play at a time. We could say, you gotta dig deep, or you got this. Or we could say, you gotta believe. By the way, all of these, I assume, are somewhere on the walls of like CrossFit gyms and they're all painted up there. And if you're here and you're like, that's insulting, I go to CrossFit and we've got better slogans than that. You just made my point for me, thank you. Um, so if you thought that, then that's, you made my point. Here's where we're going, striving to the victory. And these are gonna be our three questions we look at this morning. And they're, they're more significant than you realize, these three little questions. I get it, it's, it's a rainy, drizzly morning and I'm gonna drop some heavy questions on you, and I'm gonna have you try to process them. What prize are you chasing? How much time is left? And then what propels you forward? What helps you get there? Now this first one. What is the goal that your life is oriented towards? Like if we were to look at your thought life, what you spend your money on, your time on, what you dream about, what prize are you chasing? Do you know even? If you, thank you. <laughs> I didn't know at your age either. Um, what prize are you actually chasing? And, and here's the deal diving into this question, it actually might help you identify the source of your anxiety, fear, insecurity, bitterness. Just this first question, shall we? have your Bibles, open them with me, Philippians chapter three. Uh, just in thinking about this, this uh, the games and all that, it got me, I, I'm starting to see commercials for uh, the Olympics coming up. Where are my, win- uh, let's go Summer Olympics. Summer Olympic people? Okay, Winter Olympic people? How about, don't care about Olympic people? Yeah, there we go. Uh, that's more me. I don't relate to the Winter Olympics because I live here and I've just never understood it. I don't get what the luge even is. Uh, it just seems like an accident more than anything else. Um the summer olympics I, I i watched them i liked them better my favorite race in the summer olympics is by far the 100 meters and it's just here's why i like it you can sense the intensity before they get in the starting blocks and the race happens and what i always think about maybe you think the same thing i do whenever i'm watching the 100 meters is these these men these women they have worked their entire life i mean They've eaten right. They've worked out. They've done everything. They only get one shot every four years. They didn't date. They didn't do any of the parties. They did everything for this moment. If you notice in this race, this race is already over. Usain Bolt. There was a movie decades and decades ago, and it was about the 100 meters, and one of the characters, it's, it's a famous movie, Chariots of Fire, and one of the characters in the movie who's running the 100 meters, 100 meters says this. I have 10... Lonely seconds to justify my existence. Ten lonely seconds. It's all been for this, and I've got ten seconds to make it all worth it. Everything was pointed to right here. Then the race happens, and it's like that. Now, what's fascinating is, have you ever noticed the agony of the defeat for those that lose? I mean, you spent decades for this. You don't even place. You don't even get a bronze. But what, you, what I've also noticed is, and I think we've, we could we could do, see countless stories of this: the the people that reach the pinnacle of their career, they win the gold, they win the Super Bowl, they they they're they're famous, they're 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 selling out stadiums, whatever it may be. They just reached the pinnacle of everything they've been, been striving for. And they find themselves still talking about this sense of emptiness. There's got to be something else out there. What am I chasing? I, it didn't really satisfy. We could give countless stories of that. As we look at the passage, Paul is going to give us a series of active verbs. You might, as, you might even note them. They're worth underlining. He gives us some active verbs. They're in the green up here. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to obtain. I'm pressing on. I, I haven't taken hold of I'm straining towards. I press on towards the goal. These are active verbs of action. This word press on, uh, one of the the dictionary dictionary entries says something like this. Um, It is to move forward with haste and intensity of effort. These are the kind of verbs that Paul is using. He says it's all laser beam focused on one thing. One thing. Now I'm going to date myself here this one thing, it, it reminded me of a philosopher from the last century, a great philosopher of the last century, his name was Curly. Now, let's just get it out of the way real quick. How many of you in this room have seen the movie City Slickers, it came out in 1991? Now, this would be a better question for those who just raised your hand. How many of you have never heard of the movie City Slickers, raise your hand, more, never even heard of it? It's actually really good. Uh, it came out in 91. Billy Crystal's in it. Uh, he's, it's, uh, it's kind of a comedy western, comedic western, however you call that. Um, and in the middle of the movie, there's this dialogue that sort of, uh, it kind of becomes the poignant dialogue of the movie. Um, Curly, who's the old cowboy, Curly and Billy Crystal's character, they're having a conversation, and what Curly says is, he says, I found the meaning of life. And Billy Crystal says, well, what is it? And he says, it's one thing, one thing. And then Billy Chris says, Well, what's the one thing? And Curly says, You're gonna have to find that out for yourself. You gotta find that out for yourself. Now, I don't know if the writers of that knew how profound what they were saying on the lips of Curly the cowboy, how profound that is. And as profound as it is, it actually comes with a dual problem. It comes with a problem. If Curly is right, and I think he largely is, here's the first problem. The first problem is, the pressure that that puts on you to find it. I know the meaning of life, you gotta find your one thing. Well, what is it? You gotta figure that out for yourself. And here's the deal. Probably many of you in the room right now that you are feeling that pressure. Maybe you're, maybe you're in college and your parents are saying, what are you doing? What's, where are you gonna be? What? And you're going, I don't, I don't know. And you have this intense pressure around you to figure it out. Some of you, by the way, you might be my age. You might be older. You're going, man, I thought this was it, but it's not it. And there's this deep pressure on you and this sense of emptiness because you've never really found out what you're oriented to. And especially if you're, you know, 25 or younger, it can put this enormous pressure on you and anxiety. The second is this. That's the first problem. The second problem is this. Will the thing that you're seeking, will it... Be strong enough and big enough and compelling enough and beautiful enough to stand under the weight of the expectations you put on it. Let me illustrate the story. Uh, I heard a pastor talking about uh, counseling a, a woman, and uh, this woman was married, and her marriage was kind of uh, in, in, in kind of struggling and she had children and one was a teenage son, and the teenage son was kind of rebelling and beginning to push back against you know the, the parents' authority and getting in trouble at school and getting in trouble and uh, the the pastor was was talking to this woman and she was a religious person. She went to church, you know, she, she read her Bible, she was in small group, and yet as the, as the pastor was telling her, hey, you've got to work toward forgiving your husband because that, that bitterness will be, develop and the resentment is going to destroy your marriage and you've got to work toward both forgiving your son but also training him and also learning to release and, and you got to start praying. And he was trying to get her to work through these things and yet nothing would take and she continued to to, continue to look inward It continued to go downhill. Their marriage continued to get worse. The son continued to rebel and he couldn't figure out why this is a religious person. And then it dawned on him, she was in his office and said this. She said, I can't do that. I can't do what you're asking me to do. And here's the statement that she said. He said, I got it. She said, if my son goes down the drain, then my whole life will have been a failure. Now, remember our sprinter. Our sprinter had 10 seconds to justify his existence. This mom's got 18 years, her son, raising him upright to justify her existence. What about you? What about you? Do you you even know what you're chasing? And if you are, is it big enough, compelling enough to hold the weight of the expectations you put on it? Or will you crush it under your hopes and dreams? Now that helps us orient just, I think, our brains to see what Paul's gonna do. He says this, he says, I don't, I don't consider myself have obtained it yet, but I'm pressing towards it. What is the it? To understand that, we gotta go up in the passage to the end of chapter three, verse 10 and 11. He says, I wanna know Christ. In verse 11, and so somehow in knowing Christ, I might, I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. He goes, I've got a prize, I've got a goal, and it is to be conformed to the image of the resurrected Jesus. It's a goal by which I can orient everything else in my life. It's big enough and grand enough to say, come and get me, and I can't crush it with my expectations. He goes, one day I know that Jesus, as the risen king, will resurrect my body and I will know him fully. That's what I'm after. That's what gives me my confidence. That's what gives me my courage. I've got the right prize. Later on in the passage, we'll call it the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a profound question. What are you chasing? Do you know? Is it big enough to hold? I think Paul would say, you have to chase the right thing. Our second question, how much time is left? Now, uh, I think we all know what it's like to get your, get your time off, have, have the clocks be wrong. Like when the clocks are off, like daylight savings time or something, when, you're, when, you're, when your time is off, everything just goes awry that day. And, and it could be awry, we could be too late, or we could be too early. Two, two examples from my life. Um, I'm sure this has happened to m- maybe many of you in the room, either with school or with work, okay? Like, I can remember in high school, uh, there was a test in a class I wasn't strong in, and I thought the test was on, say, like, the Tuesday the 24th. But on Tuesday the 17th, I walked into class, and I had the time wrong, and the test was that day. How do you think I did? Poor. I literally just went through each question and tried to answer it as amusing as I thought I could answer it. Just I'll make this fun, at least for me. Terrible grade. That's the kind of person I am, by the way. Uh, second story, this is even worse. Don't judge me. Um, a girl I was dating in college, seriously dating, uh, we probably I'm not the only one, I don't think. Sometimes special occasions can sneak up on you. You had the wrong time. Anniversaries, Christmas, birthdays, these kinds of things. We got the Christmas. And uh, we were in college, she was gonna be with her family and I was gonna be with my family and we were gonna see each other some. And, you know, it is Christmas after all. You do have like six weeks of lead up, but I had missed it. And uh, we get down to it and there's just nothing open um, the day that I need to go find something. And so that left me kind of digging deep. And what I ended up getting her was a Starbucks gift card for $25. And the worst part is, uh, I forgot to take the receipt off the back of it. So they, she saw when I had bought the gift card. And our relationship did not last much longer after that. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, when your times are off, when you, when you have the clocks wrong, things can go bad for you. How much time is left? Do you have the right clocks? Let's see it. Now, look at what Paul does. He says, I'm striving to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's my prize at the end of this. I want to know Christ and be conformed to his image and one day be resurrected with him. But now look at verse 12. He says, But I haven't got there yet. I haven't arrived at that goal. I press forward to it. I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it yet. What is he doing? Like, I guess it might seem obvious. What is he doing? Now, of course, scholars debate this stuff. There's a little bit of disagreement, but I think the, maybe the most satisfying answer is Paul is anticipating. Maybe he's actually heard uh, that they're struggling with this in Philippi, but maybe he's just even anticipating. If all the amazing realities of chapter 3, 1 to 11 are true, our confidence can be in Jesus. If all of that is true, then it might create, and he's anticipating this, what the theologians call, don't have to worry about this, okay, but what theologians sometimes call an overrealized eschatology. Ooh, that's fun. An over-realized eschatology. Now, what does that sound like on the ground, all right? Who cares about the big fancy terms? On the ground, it sounds like this. I'll state it for you. Okay, Paul. If Jesus really is the, ris- the risen king of the world, like, okay, he really conquered sin and death on the cross, then why, why are we still going through suffering? If he really is the risen king, why are you in jail after all? If all that stuff is true, how come all these bad things are happening? If that's true, why is Caesar still on the throne? Why do I still struggle with sin? See how it sounds? By the way, I hear that all the time from many of you. I think it. Hey, if Jesus really is the risen king of the world, how come every time I turn on the news, it's some awful, terrible tragedy? If Jesus really is the resurrected king of the world, who's defeated sin and death, why do all these bad things happen? If this is true, why do I still struggle? And maybe you've asked that question. I know I do. And Paul, I think, wants to adjust our clocks. Now, let me give you two passages, one from Paul and one not from Paul that help us to see where we sit in the story, okay? Here's where we're at in our story. We've, we've lost our screen, now we're back. Okay, Colossians 2. In Colossians chapter 2, this is one of my favorite passages in the entirety of the Bible. I think Paul would say, these realities, if you are in Christ, are yours. He would say, yeah, while you were dead, God made you alive, forgave your sin, canceled the charge of the debt. He took it away. He nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He embarrassed them, and he triumphed over them on the cross. And Paul uses language like this all over the place. Remember, after all, when Jesus hit the ground running in his ministry, he said, I came to bring a kingdom. And When he ascends tells us he sits as king at God's right hand. He has inaugurated his kingdom. If you are in Christ in this room this morning, these are now realities for you. Now! And man, they should give you a confidence. But Paul's also gonna speak. We're gonna see him speak to it and other writers of the New Testament. Just one symbolic picture of this in Revelation. This is our not yet. As the writer of Revelation says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, one day heaven and earth will be united as they were always meant to be in the Garden of Eden. Now finally it will come to fruition. God's dwelling will be among his people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God will be their God. and wipe away every tear from their eye. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order has passed away. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, the last enemy to be defeated is death. And Paul says, that's what I look forward to. He gives us a now and a not yet. Here's where you are if you are in Christ in this room. Can I tell you? This should radically change how you deal with your own struggle, your own story, your own battle with sin, your poise, your hope, your courage, your confidence. Because look what's yours now. And look what awaits Christians, hear me. If your head is down, you know. See, too many Christians walking around with this moping, I'm, I, I'm terrible, I can't do this in our world. If your head is down or you're lashing out in anger with a sense of fatalism or despair or hopelessness, know where you are in the time. Get your clocks right. Now, I keep saying in Christ and Christians, now hear me. If you're skeptical in the room this morning, my assumption is maybe there's many of you in this room that are not Jesus followers. We're so glad that you're here. May I invite you to be curious about your worldview. There's a lot of religious ideas and uh, you know, spiritual ideas floating around in our world and floating around in America. And one of the most pervasive ones is this sort of uh, secular naturalism, sort of pluralistic secular naturalism and you don't have to care about the terms, but if that's, if that's the worldview you bring to the table, may I invite you to at least consider your clocks just for a moment. Where are you? Here, here's where you sit. You are somewhere between the Big Bang, a uh, material event that took place 13.8 billion years ago or so, and maybe you're here And one day, the sun will become a red giant, swallow up this planet as it expands and it kind of relieves its energy. It'll burn up the inner planets of our solar system. Everything you thought you knew, everything you thought had meaning, everything you thought had purpose will be incinerated in a moment. And eventually, the universe will either continue to expand and cool to the point where there's no longer any life possible or we'll see a big crunch and everything will come back to sort of a singularity like the beginning. Here's you. I'm just gonna invite you to consider deeply your worldview. And if if that is maybe unpalatable to you, then maybe consider the story that Paul is telling today. Now, here's our, uh, our last point. What, what propels you forward? What do I mean by that? What I mean by that. Notice active verbs of action. I press on. I'm taking hold. I'm straining. I press forward. It's an athletic competition. We're going for the prize. And I think it'd be really easiest for us here to go. Okay, okay, I get it, Paul. You said all the cool stuff in chapter three, one to eleven, about how we're in Christ and that's awesome. But now, time to get to work. It's time to press forward. Time to work hard. Hey, by the way, many of you, that's been your Christian experience. Maybe the entire time you've been a Jesus follower, maybe for years, maybe for decades, you thought the story was you get saved and then you work really hard to make God happy with you and impress him. And hopefully you put all that together, you get to go to heaven when you die. And some of you, you're pretty good at it. And many of you, you've tried that and you are not very good at it. And you know it. By the way, the ones that are pretty good at it, you also know sometimes you're a fraud. And you have this constant exhaustion and anxiety and fear you're going to get found out. Now, you're going to see something, and Paul does this, and he, it's, it's like he can't help himself. So unbelievably brilliant in this passage that I don't want you to miss it. Don't miss it. It changes everything. Is this just work, work, press, press, stri- strive? St- no, 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 look, look. End of verse 12. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, a little grammar, quick grammar. Uh, every translation does this, and uh, it obscures one little thing. It's, I get what they're doing, okay? Let me, let me show you. There's active verbs, and then there are passive verbs. An active verb, the subject does the action of the sentence. In a passive verb, the subject receives the action of the sentence. Here it is, I hit the ball, active, passive. The ball was hit by me. See the difference? In this, at the end of verse 12, the verb is actually, Paul is the subject, and the verb is a passive verb. Every translation makes it an active verb, and I wish they'd leave it. Here's why it matters. Paul says, I press on to take hold of, now here's here's what it reads, of that for which I was taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, the difference is crucial. The point still hold, but the difference is crucial. Active, 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 active. And yet in the middle of that, Paul says, wait. First recognize, he took hold of you. Passive. You were taken hold of by Christ Jesus. The gospel, Christianity, is fundamentally different than every other religious, spiritual, social ideology that the world has ever known. See, in every other religious system, they all essentially say the same thing, which is, I work, I work, I strive, I I pray, I be a good person, I do the right thing, I try to be nice, I follow the path, I read the text, I do all the stuff, and then... Maybe God will welcome me. I'm 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 working, I'm earning, I'm gonna get there and at the end we'll see. Christianity, the gospel is fundamentally different. In all these active verbs of action that Paul uses here, he says, "Well, well, don't forget, I was taken hold of by Christ. The gospel says, all of my striving." is a result of something Jesus has already done on my behalf. You see the difference? It melts away your anxiety. It melts away your exhaustion. It melts away your insecurity and fear. It's the difference in dating and looking up 15 years into marriage. When you're dating someone, many of you are dating in this room. Maybe they're sitting next to you, squeeze their hand a little tighter. Okay, You're dating. When you're dating, you're always trying to earn their hand. There's a little, bit of a, a little bit of a worry. What if this isn't enough? What if we don't match? What if we don't fit? What if I'm not romantic enough? What if? You're always earning. And it can be really fun, by the way. But there's always this, I don't know. So you work and you work and you strive to win that person's hand. I looked up uh, this last week. Sarah and I have been married now nearly 15 years. Looked up and I looked at her and here's the difference. She looks at me with all of my foolishness, and I am, and all my stupidity, and I am, and all of my really trying hard to serve her and please her, and all the times that I don't, and look up her, look up at her, and I can recognize. She she made a vow to me. She said, I choose you, and now, whether I'm up or down, whether I'm Good that day or not so good that day. She made a promise. It's free. See the difference? Religion, earn, I hope it's enough, and the gospel. That's why Paul ends the passage with this. Only, this this is brilliant. In your striving, Christians, hey, only live up to what you've already attained. Chase down what's already yours. Try to be what Jesus has already made you to be. We might summarize it this way. In our sanctification, we follow Jesus, Jesus followers in the room, we urgently strive toward the goal that is already yours in Jesus. We live in the now and look forward to the not yet. If you don't know Jesus in the room this morning, uh, my invitation to you. Maybe, maybe you're a skeptic, maybe a church wounded you uh, sometime in your past. Maybe you've got some really big questions. Uh, bring them. But Jesus would come and ask you to find rest for your soul, to be set free, to find a prize worth chasing. That's you this morning, we'd love to process that with you. I'll be sitting right here. The prayer won't be open after the service. If you are a Jesus follower in the room, hey, let's press forward. It, all the little things that we do, they matter, but we do so toward the goal that's already yours in Christ. is that awesome? Hey, I'm going to pray and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for sending your son to rescue us. Thank you that in him we can find rest, a true rest for our souls, and that in him we can be set free to life and joy, even in the midst of things that look uncertain and shaky and fearful. May this be the source of our courage and our confidence and our poise today. For to whom else would we go? We pray this in your name, Jesus, our King, amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?
0: righteousness of God in him that's the gospel church we have righteousness obtained through Christ through him alone it's it's not in us yet not I but through him and through him alone so we can build our lives on that we can have assurance in that so let's reflect on that as we continue to sing To those words that we sing, we can put our trust in Him and in Him alone, and we can, will not be shaken. That is how we, as a church, we press on together. We look to Jesus, look to Christ. Let's sing this together.
1: Press on, press on, and we're safe in His own. And troubles and trials come by. See peace, show grace, no fast to your faith, for Savior, forever See it again, church. Press on. Press on, press on. we safe in his own. Trouble. Our Savior forever. I hope
0: you continue to sing those lyrics over yourselves this week. There's communion available through the doors on your left, there's prayer available through the doors on your right if you'd like to pray with someone. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week, church.